When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Hello, welcome to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar out in sunny Santa Clara to do the show. Today, we have Brandon Thorne to break down the offensive and defensive line matchups later in the show. Judd Zulgad will finish things off, but back in the Minneapolis studios and joining me is ESPN's Myron Metcalf. What is going on? How is the weather back there, Myron? Uh, it's not as good as the weather there, you know, so you can throw that throw that in our faces, you know, again, but... Uh, it's also, it's not as bad as it could be, but man, you're in a beautiful, maybe the most beautiful part of the country, right? I've done okay for myself on this trip. <laughs> Going to New Orleans and then out here to the West Coast, not bad. Like, you could do much worse. And yeah. I'm sure that karma is going to get us and send us to Green Bay next week. <laughs> and then I'm going to be freezing and driving through a snowstorm, and I'm going to hit a deer <laughs> and when I drive through Wisconsin or something. But I'm going to enjoy uh, Santa Clara for now. We have to start out, Myron, with talking about how you are a hater. Okay. Yeah. You, yeah. Last week, we go into that game against the Saints, and we're talking about whether Mike Zimmer should be gassed and they should move on and everything else. And then he goes down and he pitches a gem. It was like Jack Morris in the World Series, just everything working for Mike Zimmer in that game against Drew Brees. So how do you feel now? Like, Did you change how you felt about Mike Zimmer after you watched what happened in New Orleans? I, I, I think, for me, you've got to distinguish between a moment and a career, right? And, and, and for Mike Zimmer, this is, feels like one of his biggest wins, clearly. And uh, I think he outcoached Sean Baton in every way. I think his guys were more prepared than the Saints were. Uh, you look at what happened defensively. You look at just the mistakes that the Saints made that the Vikings capitalize on. you got to give Zimmer full credit for, you know, having a great showing uh, against a team that many thought could win the Super Bowl. You can't take that away from them. I think with Kirk Cousins, he made some huge plays, uh, the kind of plays you expect from a all-pro level quarterback. He looked like that in stretches. And big game for him as well. You know, it doesn't change. I think his record against winning teams going into that game was like 6-20 and or something like that. So now I think he's 7-20 and or something. So, I mean, it doesn't, to me, change everything. But I think it also shows that this is a generation that 
pays attention to what have you done for me lately. Like what I really thought about was Reggie Jackson, right? Reggie Jackson, Mr. October, 1973 MVP, uh, four World Series rings, I believe. Uh, A guy when you think of clutch playoff performances, you think of Reggie Jackson. Also, almost 2,700 strikeouts, uh, by far the leader in Major League Baseball, uh, a guy who has definitely had some terrible moments in his career as well. And it just reminded me of people remember your highlights. And Kirk Cousins with that win is moving further away from the you haven't beaten enough winning teams, you haven't been clutch enough, to people just remembering what he's done lately. And what he did lately, as of last week, was pretty good, man. You cannot hate on that. I do wonder, Collar, but is this a surprise? Is this an achievement? Or is this where we expected them to be two years ago? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question about the expectations and how we've just had this sliding scale of expectations with this team. After week four, you and I probably would have said, oh, man, if they even make the playoffs, that would be good. Uh, but also at that time, we thought, you know, this Detroit Lions team is not that bad. you got to watch out for those Detroit Lions. They're pretty plucky. Pesky Matt Patricia. That's right. Matt Stafford's having a great year and, and everything. We never would have seen David Blau starting by the end of the year. But when Kirk Cousins signs, we think it's Super Bowl or bust. And I, I never really bought into that entirely. Because of what happened in 2017 was so unique and so bizarre and special. Again, not to take anything away from it, but it was just hard to repeat. Yeah. Like you're, you're going to have the number one defense in the NFL. You're going to have a miracle play in a playoff game. Like, it, is that really what you think is going to happen again with Kirk Cousins? Or you think that that's going to kind of mitigate that effect of regression? You're going to have everybody healthy again, like you did in 2017. So I thought Super Bowl or bust wasn't really fair. Also, the bust part. I mean, they have too many players in their prime to say it's yeah. bust. That usually means that you have a bunch of old guys who are about to leave the team or about to fall apart, like the 2010 Vikings, where it was like everybody was sort of peaking and then they fell off the side yeah. of the earth in 2010. Uh, but that it was never going to be the case for this team. They were going to have a window, and it was going to be probably three or four years with Kirk Cousins. And to be in this position, yeah, I don't feel like it's one where you say, Oh, wow, they really shocked us. Great job. Pat on the back here. It should be the mentality that you are where you're supposed to be. And just because you were a number six seed, well, you really shouldn't have been. You botched a bunch of games in the regular season uh, that you shouldn't have. Two losses to Green Bay. I mean, you should have been right there with a one seed or a two seed for the talent on this team and the schedule that you had and the opportunities that you had. Games at Kansas City, games at Chicago, you could have won all of these, and so you earned that six seed. So we shouldn't treat you like a plucky underdog when you've spent all the way to the cap, and you have Gary Kubiak here, who's a legend that you brought in to improve your offense. And what Kirk Cousins did, I agree with you that it shouldn't be like, Hey, pat on the head. You finally did it. Good for you. But it should be, okay, great. You won round one. Now on to round two and fulfill the expectations that were set when you got here because you have the team to do it. Yeah. It, in a way, Collar, why shouldn't they be the 49ers? I mean, if you look at what the 49ers have done, a quarterback who hadn't proven anything, who was facing the same scrutiny that Kirk Cousins has dealt with, a team that was going to be built on defense, uh, an offense that had playmakers, especially when you had Emmanuel Sanders midway through the season. That that matters a lot. But um, George Kittle, I mean, they're very similar to, to me. The difference has been the 49ers and a lot of clutch situations came through. 
they won at New Orleans down the stretch, hitting the big field goal at the end. The only teams that beat them were, I think, you know, the, the Ravens they lost to, but that was like a one-score game, and I think the Ravens scored in their final possession. Like, this is a team that, in those moments, they've come through. Whereas the Vikings, their narrative was, oh, you're right there, but it's not enough, which is why so many people doubted them going into the Saints game. By the way, stop lying. All of you Vikings fans, stop lying. Because you did not have this faith in Kirk Cousins going into that game. You were not a believer. You did not have faith in this franchise. Why? Because they hadn't given you a reason to have faith in them. So, Kyler, I'm bothered by the, like, I'll take the, you were a hater and you were proven wrong and you got egg on your face or whatever. I'll take that. But I will not accept the thousands and thousands of Vikings fans out there who are suddenly claiming that they've been here the whole time and they've had this mindset all season. Oh, I I definitely agree with you because after the Green Bay game, everybody jumped shit. <laughs> I mean, you should have seen the Twitter mentions after that. It was I done. Mean, people didn't even want to watch the game against the Saints because they assumed it was just going to be a repeat of what had happened against Green Bay. The Cousins wasn't going to show up. That yeah. Their offensive line was going to get dominated. He was going to get scared and start checking down to C.J. Ham constantly. And instead, they were able to grind it out. Now, the question that I have, though, is... With that win with New Orleans, you earned it, you out-schemed them, you came up with the biggest throws at the biggest times. On the other side of that coin, Delvin Cook's knee was just barely down. Right? I mean, <laughs> so close. Just barely. I have not recovered from how loud the Superdome was when that ball popped up in the air uh, because everybody thought that the game was over and New Orleans was winning. Also, Drew Brees gets his arm knocked rarely fumbles, but it happens. You recover it. There's Fumble luck is a real thing in this sport. Yes. If their guys recover it, maybe he throws the next pass for 20 yards and they win that game. So even though you thoroughly outplayed the New Orleans Saints in many different ways, in many different areas of that game, you still required overtime mm-hmm. to win it. And now you have to go on the road again with some injuries that we'll get to after really playing one of those everybody-kicks-each-other's-ass games that's very emotional with the win and Cousins after the game, you know, screaming and having his voice cracking and everything else, you do wonder if that's going to be able to carry over. And if you play the same game that that was good, but you still let the other team hang around and stay in it, is Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan, are they going to figure out a way to beat you? Because Garoppolo has done that a lot this year. Leads the league in game-winning drives and and fourth-quarter comebacks. So if you let teams hang around in the playoffs multiple weeks, it's going to be pretty darn tough to win. And if if that happens, Myron, I wonder how we'll talk about it. If the Vikings get up 14 points and blow the lead, I mean, will we go right back to those same conversations we had before? I wrote before last week's game, what happens if they win? Do we all just go... Well, Zimmer, I I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't. Okay. No, uh, Kirk, Kirk, I mean, clutch. I, I always said Kirk was clutch. <laughs> you knew it. There was a lot of that. Yeah. But if they lose, I think it all comes back to the surface with those conversations. Not that I think that Zimmer is fired, but I think that the seat remains having the potential to get warm pretty fast next year if they get off to a slow start or something like that. And you wonder... Will they even be as good next year as they were this year? And you start to look forward. I think a lot of those conversations come right back up yeah. if they lose to San Francisco. Well, and I think you made the earlier point. The challenge is one they can overcome even in the playoffs in that you should be at home resting. You know, This is a team that should have had a bye. This is a team that should have been where Green Bay is right now. They were in that position and they had those opportunities they couldn't deliver. 
you go to New Orleans, and to your point, a lot of mistakes were made. Now, the Saints' last three years have been characterized by mistakes. I mean, this is a franchise that has had it right there, and they've missed out. Um, so I think there's something to be said about that, too. You continuously make mistakes in clutch situations. That's a pattern, uh, whereas the Vikings usually are on the other end of that. But I think it was a great win to advance to this opportunity, play in San Francisco. It does not completely change the narrative. It changed the narrative last week for Kirk Cousins in the moment. But let's all be honest. I remember when Case Keenum threw the Minneapolis miracle. And then I remember a week later when he went to Philadelphia, threw a pick six, and if you went on to Twitter, you saw that Case Keenum was the worst quarterback in the NFL <laughs> yes. and didn't deserve his job. Yeah. So I think Kirk Cousins, what he escaped for a moment, you know, a sports center highlight, a Twitter stretch, certainly. But that's forgotten in this era. If you go into San Fran and get destroyed and bullied, I think that will be a bigger thing of, okay, where is this franchise going right now? I was actually in uh, East Lansing when this happened. So I'm watching in the Michigan State media room where Kirk Cousins has a lot of fans. Actually, a guy yells out in the media room, I hope Kirk Cousins wins so all the idiots would shut up. I raised my hand and said, I'm one of the idiots. (laughs) So that was the kind of vibe. But there were so many people who were in I told you so mode. And Collar, when you get $84 million guaranteed and you get the keys to a team that's already been to the NFC Championship, do you get to gloat to that degree? Not for a first-round win. A lot of teams have won in the first round. A lot of quarterbacks have won in the first round. Some bad quarterbacks have won in the first round. I think you have to get much deeper before you start saying, told you so, told you so, see, Kirk showed all of you. And he certainly has... The situation to show everyone, yeah. the surrounding cast will never get better than this. Even if Adam Thielen has a cut on his ankle, you're yeah. still talking to the best receivers in the NFL, a offensive coordinator that everybody wants to hire or at least interview for head coaching jobs. You have an offensive line that is invested quite a bit in and at least can play, mm-hmm. unlike some previous offensive lines, including his last year. I mean, and, and the best running back in the league, if not number two running back in the entire NFL. You cannot get a better situation than this. Their number two tight end is good. Yes. Like, their number three receiver, four receiver, a guy like a BC Johnson is good. I mean, they, they have all sorts of talent, all sorts of players, and... Lots of situations this year where they needed to come up bigger to be a one seed or a two seed. So I can't say, oh, well, he was a six seed, and now you know getting that win really shows you something about their resilience or their toughness or his ability to overcome all the haters and so forth. Like, well, you, you did that to yourself. Yeah. So I can't be super impressed. But also, all those other things were facts. I mean, they're, they're not. <laughs> exactly. They're, they're not just like these random takes we pulled out of nowhere. Yeah. They are... You are 31 years old at this point. You have been in the NFL since 2012. You've been a starter since 2015. You've had good teams. You've had teams that were playoff worthy, including 2018 for sure, with the defense they had. And you've come up short at every turn. And even this year, you came up short at every turn. Those are just facts. I mean, Mike Zimmer said this week, uh, like, oh, there's this rhetoric about Kirk. Like, no, it's not. It's the truth. It's just, just you were there on Monday night, man. You cannot tell me that Mike Zimmer, after that game, didn't go home and break his TV or something because of the way his quarterback played. He doesn't have a TV. Like, we can't. Yeah, well, (laughs) well, he's got to grind tape. Yeah, true, true. Maybe they do it all on iPads now. Uh, But uh, you can't tell me that 
Zimmer hasn't had these same thoughts and has kind of made it clear at some times where he feels the same way about Cousins, that he does not show up in big games. So I don't mind it coming from the locker room. you got to do that. Yeah. But from the other from the fans and from Stop other it. media people, saying I told you so on this one is kind of weird because it's just the first round of the playoffs. And if that's where you set your bar, it's like you cover NCAA basketball team. Yeah. If a, a, an elite program, if Duke wins in the first second round, is anyone impressed? Well, why should we be for the Vikings if they're considered to be an elite NFL team? Yeah, and I think we are one half away, one bad half away from should Zimmer be the coach, is Kirk Cousins the quarterback of the future? Like, that conversation is ongoing. And I think it was interrupted by a great performance down the stretch by Kirk Cousins, by I think a, a, a great game in terms of coaching by Mike Zimmer. But we have not gotten away from that entirely. Now, if you go to San Fran and you beat the top seed, and mind you, a top seed that could have been on the road to Philly very easily if the Seattle Seahawks avoid the delay of game penalty, they punch it in. That seems like the theme of that franchise. If they punch it in there, they're the top seed. They get the bye. San Francisco has to travel. Maybe we're having a different conversation. So this is a, a an NFC playoff picture where the mistakes have literally defined the entire field and the entire ranking system and you know who's been home and who's had to travel and, and that's why to me if you go out and get destroyed Saturday I'll go back to think about how close you were to avoiding that situation yep. completely you know that's how I'll view it yeah I mean you're a you're a cousin's interception at the end of the game in Green Bay you're a cousin's no show at US Bank Stadium yep. where Green Bay did not play well that night they, they were terrible them. yeah Three turnovers, an interception by Aaron Could have been six in that first time. I mean, two passes by Rodgers could have been picked, and that fumble could have been a fourth uh, turnover, too. Right. And even in Chicago, you gave up 16 points, and you could only produce six on that day. And Kansas City, you're right there at the end of the game. You've got the ball to drive and go win, and you don't. And then Matt Moore leads a game-winning drive and a win. So we're going to get to some sort of key factors in in the matchups that we're interested in. I wrote a piece for our website, scorenorth.com, about the matchups that will define this game between the 49ers and Vikings. But let's talk about what if they win, because that was the kind of what if we lose. Uh, What if they win on Saturday? Are we talking about now this season completely differently as – well, yes, this is where you should have been, but you've also traveled such a difficult road that you've shown the resiliency that we didn't believe you had at the biggest time. I'm certain that Kirk Cousins will have to play even better against San Francisco than he did through the whole game against the New Orleans Saints. Yeah. So more likely than not, we're saying, okay, well, I guess the answer to Kirk Cousins winning these big games was just he needed to be in this situation with this defense playing at a high level, no doubt they'll play great if they come away with a win. That He needed these receivers to be uh, in his pocket. He needed this system to set him up to succeed. Because so much of success for the quarterback position, if you're not Russell Wilson, whose team is awful, yes. if, you're, if you're not Russell Wilson, or you're not Patrick Mahomes, or you're not even Aaron Rodgers' team is not that great. You see receivers drop passes all the time, and he's not the same. Everybody else is a victim of circumstance. It's how much can you put around them, how good is your defense, how good is even your special teams. The Dallas Cowboys had the worst special teams in the league. They'd probably make the playoffs if they had decent special teams. It matters. They had kickers missing all over the place. Way to get rid of Dan Bailey, uh, yeah. Cowboys. Well, anyway. What, 21 field goals in a row or something like that, he said? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 27 for 29, yeah. which means it's not bad. Saturday he'll shank three. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, 
I, I think it will be a very interesting conversation if they win of now does it become even a bigger disappointment if you can't go to Green Bay or Seattle and win because you are so decidedly better than those teams and you will have defeated two far better teams than that will likely face you in the NFC Championship. Uh, yeah, in terms of the narrative and the perception, you are better off losing Saturday, I think, than winning Saturday and getting everybody excited for a Super Bowl run. Uh, to, to me, they win Saturday, they go to the Super Bowl. Because to me, the Packers aren't better than the Vikings. The, the Packers have played a lot of ugly football like the Vikings, and they've just found a way down the stretch in, in some of these games. You go back to that Packers game in, in Minneapolis, it was like the Vikings were just begging to go home or something. Just just score, Aaron Jones. You know, run up the middle on us. Do something. But I think the team we saw at least with Dalvin Cook healthy again, you saw them competing in a way that you expected them to. And I think what they showed against the Saints is they can face a team that has some of the top players in the NFL, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and they can line up in a play-by-play situation and come out on top, which is very difficult to do. I mean, teams like that, if you're going to beat them, you got to somehow blow them out, get off to some crazy early lead, and hope they don't come back. But beating a team like that in sort of a last-place situation matters. And now you're going to San Fran, a team that's won a lot of those games as well. If you beat what many think is maybe the best team in the NFL, not named the Baltimore Ravens, in that situation, it has to give you a lot of confidence. And I think you beat them, you shouldn't have any problem with Seattle or Green Bay. Shouldn't. Shouldn't, right. Classic Vikings last (laughs) words, right? Uh, Which team would you rather face if you're the Vikings, Green Bay or Seattle? The travel is much easier to go to Green Bay. That's like a 45-minute flight. You're not changing time zones. You've been there a million times. The place is not going to intimidate Kirk Cousins. Um, though I don't think that that's really a problem he has, is struggling with the noise or anything. But still, uh, he's played pretty suspect in Seattle at times, and especially last year. This year, I didn't think he was overwhelming at all. Has had some good moments in Green Bay. Has had some bad moments in Green Bay. Wilson is playing far better than Rodgers this year. Yeah. But I think the defense of Green Bay is much better. Who would you rather go against? I, I would go against Green Bay. Um, I'm I'm a big boxing fan, as you might know, and sometimes you could win a fight but lose on the scorecards. I, I think the Vikings have lost to the Packers on the scorecards in these two games, and I think that's a great situation when you know that that team didn't play better football than you did for the most part. Um, that team was sloppy, showed a lot of weaknesses. You just had a quarterback who – especially in the second game, didn't show up. But I think everyone's confident that the team that went to New Orleans beats that Packers team, and you're familiar with them. Whereas to me, you go to Seattle, if Seattle's coming off the confidence of winning two road games and now they're back home and you got to go into that environment, that's the kind of game you lose 35-21 to 21 or something like that. They just, you know, I don't want to say destiny or anything like that. They just have the momentum and a quarterback who's playing – so great, but I, I think I'd rather play the Packers. So the the quarterback is usually the determining factor for who goes to the Super Bowl. Usually, I mean, you look at the AFC. How every year, except for one, it was either Roethlisberger, Manning, or Brady for twenty years. Yeah, yeah. The quarterback is generally Means something the thing that matters. Um, and Wilson would be the one that scares you much more. But the defense of the Packers really mauled the Vikings, and Zadarius yeah. Smith specifically. 
annihilated them single-handedly in that, yeah. and really in both games. And Kenny Clark did too. And it just seems like the perfect kryptonite for the Vikings is you have a nose tackle who is a pass rusher, which. I mean, there's like five in the league who can do that. And then this other guy who you never know where he's going to line up, but he could beat your left tackle. He could line up over your center and run through him. He could line up off your right tackle. He could be a linebacker on a specific play. I mean, he has been such a massive factor in those games against the Vikings that I would be concerned about that. I don't think there's any just stopping him. Like, oh, well, all you have to do is this, this, or this. But the fact that Delvin Cook is back and had such a huge game against Green Bay – that does change it a little bit from where we were at with Mike Boone yeah. starting in that game against the Packers here at U.S. Bank Stadium. So that's a different factor. The only thing that I would say is a slight edge for Green Bay would be that they had the bye. So they're going to play this week, and it's yep. going to be a physical game, and it's playoff football and so forth. But Seattle having to already play a game in Philly, which is very taxing, then play a game in Green Bay, very taxing. And then even though they're going to be at home, you're still talking about they've played the same number of games as you. They have the same mileage as you. Yeah. Green Bay will not have had the same mileage. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that factors in. I think uh, uh, the teams that get buys, there's a favorable favorable numbers for them in terms of getting to the Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl. It, it, it certainly helps. I just think it's been a weird year, man. I think It has, yeah. That, that Packers defense matters, and Zadarius Smith is a monster. Nick Bosa should scare you. I mean, you could pass Nick Bosa because that's a guy who is just like, if you think of 21st century, like what's the next football player going to look like in terms of a defensive player? It's going to be a dude like that where you're like, you've got to spy him on every single play. And I think if you beat a team that has that, a team that has that secondary, I think you're going to go in and go, yeah, we know what Smith is, but we've already faced maybe the best defense in the league yeah. and won. That has to give you some confidence. Yeah, for sure. Let's take a break. When we come back, the five matchups that will define Vikings and 49ers, I'm going to look at that with Myra Metcalf. And also, let's go around these other games because what a weekend in sports it is about to be. I, I'm going to be pretty busy on Saturday, and unfortunately, I'll, I think I'll have to miss Seattle Green Bay in flight on Sunday, which is unfortunate. Uh, but for the rest of the nation that does not have to travel to Santa Clara, uh, it is going to be one hell of a weekend. So we'll preview that as well when we return. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Myron Metcalf on Purple Daily. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. We'll get you back to Purple Daily in just a second. Just want to let you know, Destination Winter St. Paul featuring the Wells Fargo Winter Skate and the Securing Financial Super Slide is open now through February 22nd over at CHS Field in St. Paul. The Wells Fargo Winter Skate opens daily at 11 a.m. and the Securing Financial Super Slide is open Thursday through Sunday. For more information, visit scorenorth.com, keyword winter. Getting you back to Purple Daily here in just a second. Vikings injury news just keeps getting a little bit worse as we head into 
the weekend and tomorrow's big divisional round matchup between the 49ers and the Vikings. Courtney Cronin tweeting out Vikings safety. J. Ron Curse has been downgraded to out for the 49ers game. Cornerback Mackenzie Alexander was placed on IR after having knee surgery on Thursday. And the team promoted cornerback Nate Metters off of the practice squad. That's been your score North Donald. Now back to Purple Daily. All right, welcome back to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar in Santa Clara, California, and Myron Metcalf back in our studios in Minneapolis or St. Paul, depending on what room you're in back there. Um, Myron, I I wrote for our website the five matchups that will define Vikings and 49ers. And I got to say, you and I grew up close enough in similar eras to love that the fullback and the tight end are going to be main features of this game. And my first one is George Kittle, Kyle Juszczyk versus Eric Kendricks and Anthony Barr. I love this. I love that I can include the fullback in a major part of this game plan for both teams. I was honestly thinking about that on the way here, about how much we were going to talk about fullbacks and the fact that Fullbacks will have a, a huge bearing on what happens in Saturday's game. So great. Uh, you mentioned a guy who is one of the scariest offensive players to me in the league in George Kittle, who just, again, they have so many players with the Niners where you're like, that's what the next group of players at that position are going to look like. You're George Kittle, a guy like that who has the strength and versatility and agility and just catches everything and opens up so much for that offense. And I think he gives Jimmy Garoppolo, I think that's his safety net, much like Dalvin Cook is for, uh, why can't I think of our quarterback's name, Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins would be uh, the guy. We have mentioned him I've a few already times forgotten on the show. him already. But no, I think George Kittle's going to be the guy. This is this feels like to me an Eric Kendricks game. Like I think yeah. defensively we'll look at it and go, he played well or he didn't. And I think even more so than Anthony Barr, if Kendricks is on, and a lot of that's going to involve, you know, how he's dealing with Kittle, you know, what he's doing consistently. I think that's going to be such a huge factor. If we look back at the tape and go, man, Kendrick wasn't on this game. He he, he was missing plays left and right. Just wasn't the guy we needed him to be at the Vikings. You're going to go, oh, that's why the team lost by ten or more. So here's an interesting number for you, Eric Kendrick's game. In the opener of 2018 against San Francisco, his worst PFF grade in the last two years was in that game. Now, Anthony Barr had a really good game that day and pressured the quarterback and was good in run stopping. But if you remember, there were a few throws that weren't made and there were a few catches that weren't made in that game that could have really changed things where... Kendricks was spinning around like a top trying to figure out where everybody was going. Yep. Kyle Juszczyk running wheel routes 20 or 30 yards down the field. The versatility of these players is everything. You can line them up anywhere. You can run any types of routes with them. And then also they can block. And they are two of the top, not just the Kittle, but Juszczyk as well, two of the top-rated blockers at their it's position amazing. as well. And here's the crazy stat for you. Both of them average more than seven yards after the catch. So you're getting them the ball quickly and then letting them make big plays afterwards. And that's where I totally agree with you on Anthony Barr and especially on Eric Kendricks is can you tackle these guys? This is not tackling a wide receiver. This is not tackling an average tight end or a decent running back or something. This is tackling monsters. These are two of the toughest players to bring down. And I feel like even when Rob Gronkowski was at his best, it was something we didn't talk about a ton necessarily. 
necessarily. It was always, oh, he could box people out, and he's so fast for his size. But you also couldn't tackle him. Yep. The only way to ever bring him down was to throw yourself at his knees and then hope he just tumbled to the ground. <laughs> well, George Kittle is kind of the same way, that he's one of the top uh, at shredding tackles in the entire NFL, and Juszczyk is pretty good at it, too. And and I think the usage of these Myron comes down to Shanahan v Zimmer. You love the the boxing. Well, this is a heck of a heavyweight matchup between yeah. the offensive guy and the defensive guy. I don't know enough about boxing to say specifically like how that would translate to yeah. like skill sets or whatever. Yeah. But but I kind of love this like offensive guy who's so creative versus the defensive guy trying to figure out what they're going to do and put Eric Kendricks in a position to be able to stop George Kittle and stop Kyle Juszczyk. Yeah, and, and a guy with Kubiak ties right in Shanahan, a guy who has been everywhere. I mean, there are a lot of younger coaches in this league where we're having the debates about, you know, how, how did you get this job? How did you rise so fast? But Shanahan, what I respect about him is he didn't start out on his father's staff. He he made a point of saying, no, I want to do other things and kind of work my way up. And here he is as coach of the year. I assume he's, he's going to win that, if not finish right there. Uh, and he is sort of that new mind, that new attitude that everybody's trying to get where Zimmer is, one of those punch-you-in-the-mouth guys. You know, we are going to be strong defensively, we're going to be stubborn, and, and we're going to be consistent. I feel like consistency will matter a lot in this game. I think the danger going up uh, against what they have in skill players is George Kittle can be terrible for three quarters. I mean, it's rare, but... And that fourth quarter can be the play that changes the game. Yep. So that to me is what I want to see is, is this a defense that gets lazy after coming out strong and making some big plays, and now you're midway through the third quarter and you're going, well, why did you stop tackling? You know, why is George Kittle finding open space 15 yards? Like, what's happening? Right. So I think that to me is going to be a big factor and and how this game goes as well. Yeah, they're the type of guys that can wear you down. Yep. Because of their blocking ability, because of their tackle breaking ability, that having to bring them down for four straight quarters is really tough. But you have in Kendricks an all pro linebacker who's done it this year for four quarters in the most consistent way that he ever has. Uh, who's your favorite fullback of all time? Do you have a favorite fullback? Oh, man. Who is my. I mean, Tom Rathman for the 49ers is certainly got to be up there. The neck roll, the giant pads, yeah. you catch the ball out of the backfield. He's a classic. Tampa Bay's uh, old uh, Mike Allstat was my guy. Yeah, Mike Allstat was like one of those dudes where, like, so I grew up in Wisconsin and we played a lot of farm boys in football. And so you would run up against those teams. We played a team in Green Bay. I think it was Green Bay North was the high school. And I kid you not, Collar, they ran 70 running plays. <laughs> the same play every time. Oh, my Lead God. fullback, and it was either. You know, some sort of formation. He's running right or left every single time. They destroyed us. At one time, I think he stepped on me. Like I think that was. I think that's when I was ready to quit. But like, oh, that's great. It's amazing that that's our idea of a fullback. So that old school yeah. idea of just being a big, strong guy. But what you're looking at now is you have to be a very versatile, play- maybe yes. the most versatile player on your offense. To play at this level. So I think that's what's fascinating to me. Yeah, and there's only a few guys in the entire NFL who could do it. Yeah. C.J. Ham is one of them that last week, and wow, just a creative run game for sure yeah. for the Vikings last week. There was a play where C.J. Ham was lined up as a wide receiver, 
and Adam Thielen was at the fullback position. Yeah. And the Saints were like, wait, <laughs> what, wait, what is going on here? Where is everybody going? Yeah. And then you see in the film C.J. Ham just shoving a cornerback down the field as Delvin Cook runs for 15 or 20 yards. Uh, being able to line these guys up anywhere, use them as blockers to where you want to go, or use them as decoys, or use them as ways to find out what the defense is going to bring you. It's fascinating that they ever disappeared because they could be so valuable, but I also think you also have very few human beings who want to do it. Yeah, I mean, that willingness of Kyle Juszczyk or C.J. Ham. a lot of these guys would be like, sorry, I was a great college running back, and I'm a running back, and I'm not blocking those guys. No yeah. way. And the willingness to do it um, has been really... Really valuable for both of these teams. Lorenzo Neal, he was oh, on man, the show I love once. Lorenzo Neal. One of my all-time favorites. Old school, man. Yeah, D- Moose Johnson, Moose. of course, would be one of them. Tony Richardson, Harry yep. Centers, Sam yeah. Yash, Max Strong. How about Max Strong? I like Max Strong. All-time great fullback name. Oh, man. Uh, the next matchup that I have, Myron, is Nick Bosa versus Riley Reef. Nick Bosa doesn't move around a lot. He stays on that left side, or the offense left, the the defensive right side. And he is every bit the superstar in this first year that exists in the NFL. I mean, he's there, Daniil Hunter. He's a freak. He's powerful. He's strong. He's quick. He could do everything. And the fact that they have other rushers who are going to mix in, too, with him going one-on-one with Riley Reef, they can get interior pressure. It's going to be really, really tough to stop. And when the Vikings have faced off with the elite of the elite rushers, they usually have struggled. That's the Zadarius Smith. That's the Khalil Mack. Every game the Vikings have played Khalil Mack when he's trying, which was not Week 17, yeah. I can tell you. When he's try- He couldn't beat Ole Udo yeah. on, in Week 17. It was a so, good outing. Yeah, so let's just uh, throw that one out. But Khalil Mack... And the best of the best usually demolish Riley Reef. It's just that he's good, not great at left tackle. And when it comes to guys that are this quick, plus you get a two-week break for this guy, so he's going to have all of his quickness back. This is one where Kirk Cousins, in my mind, just needs to get the ball out really quick, and they need to find ways to move the offensive line around. Otherwise, if you've got to drop straight back seven steps, I think Nick Bosa is going to be in the backfield all day. Yeah, I, I think Richard Sherman is an all-pro level cornerback at 31 because of Nick Bosa and that pressure that's coming up front. And I think they're making it so difficult on quarterbacks to make quick rush decisions um, that, you know, it, it just disrupts everything. I think that's the thing about a guy like Bosa who, you know, gets hurt in college and is like, you know what, I'm going to go pro. I'm not going to play any more football. And people are like, you can't do that. You can't sit out the rest of the college season. How are you going to prepare for the NFL? But to have that kind of confidence in your ability and to know that you are this next-level talent that no one is like in the draft, now we see why. And I think you talk about getting worn down. You know, where is where is Reef in midway through the third quarter? Like, to me, that to me is going to be the situation with the Vikings. I think we'll be able to see where they're at physically and mentally at about that point. Like the first half to me, I could see them coming out and looking really good, going Mm toe-to-toe. You know, maybe it's a 13-10 to kind of game or something like that. And then that third quarter to me is going to be where that big play can happen. Bosa gets the strip sack. You know, like all all of a sudden there's a big turnover. Like that to me is where – 
how good can the Vikings be in that moment against a guy like Bosa, against a secondary that's played well, against a George Kittle? Like those to me are going to be the big questions. But Bosa is scary. Yeah. And I don't know that anybody in that situation should be expected to contain him. But you've got to prevent him from making those huge plays that change the game and can end your season. And this is where I think Kevin Stefanski, even if he doesn't get the Cleveland Browns job, has a chance to show everybody what he's got as an offensive mind. And eventually it'll happen for him. I think that he'll get a head coaching job if Cleveland doesn't hire him. I still kind of think they will after passing him up last year and then going with Freddie Kitchens, which, you know. Great move. Yeah, did not yeah, that worked work out. out super good for them. Worked uh, out well. But this is on the offensive staff, I think. You know exactly what you have, and you know exactly what you can't ask Riley Reef to do. And that's four quarters of Nick Bosa play after play after play after play. But this team did a great job last week of limiting Cameron Jordan. It mm-hmm. wasn't that Jordan was bad. When I went back and watched him on tape, uh, he certainly wasn't bad. There was one play where he ran right through Brian O'Neill. There was another one where he f- flung Brian O'Neill to the ground. He was still a monster, but he ends up with one pressure, and it was only when he got the sack at the end where Kirk Cousins basically said, yeah, I'm just going to keep running the clock and take this sack. Yeah. That was the only time where Cameron Jordan got a pressure, and he's in that echelon of he the is. Nick Bosa's and Khalil Max. There's like that upper tier, and they were able to slow him down. The issue that's different here is it was Cameron Jordan and a bunch of other guys that I don't even know. And just like, yeah. well, you know, Rankins is a good player, but he was out. Davenport was a top draft pick. He was out. So you're like, uh, number 91. I, exactly. Who is this guy? Um, this week it's different. Armstead, D-Ford is coming back. DeForest Buckner is a monster who completely demolished the Vikings the first time that they played, uh, at least with these two head coaches, at recent, most recently in 2018. That's where I think if we talk about the thing that derails the Vikings, it's always been interior pressure. It's their four or five guys up front can stop Delvin Cook and slow you down. If they do that, it, it, it might not come down to Nick Bosa. It might come down to just that entire group. Yeah, and, and I think... This is a team where, shoot, four weeks ago you were like, who's going to be healthy on that roster going into the playoffs? But to your point, now guys are starting to get healthier, and they had the bye week. Like, to me, that's the benefit of San Fran. They had an extra week for a roster that has been banged up all season, top to bottom, and now guys are getting healthy. I mean, you mentioned Buckner, you mentioned Armstead. Like, this is going to be one of those games where one play – Two plays can change everything and can kind of set the tone for the game. And I just wonder if that offensive line is tough enough to make that early stand because I think that's what has to happen. I agree, Stefanski. Let's see what you got. I mean, this is a big moment for you, but you got to give them time to figure out what's coming. Yeah. And if right away you're just getting bulldozed uh, and you're not able to do anything, they lose by you know two, three touchdowns, yeah. I think. That's why they have to come out strong early on, but... This is a, a a hell of a matchup, man, to face a team like this that has not really been bullied by anybody yeah. in their yeah. entire season. Yeah. Uh, is there one that you love uh, matchup in this game? Because I had a few more in, in my article, but I wanted to talk about one more and then get to these other games this weekend. I mean, you, you know that Shanahan's going. How do I ISO Xavier Rhodes, especially if you get him on Emmanuel Sanders, yep. Debo Samuel. I mean, to me, that's the matchup where you go. We're going to eat him up. 
And the thing that bothers me sometimes about Xavier, it's not just that he's given up, I think, the you know, one of the worst completion percentages 84%. of the last yeah, yeah. I mean in years. It's what he shows. It's when he gives up plays, he's like a middle school, you know, football player out there just like pouting and upset and yeah. And to me, if I'm an opposing wide receiver and I see that, I'm gonna eat him up. And that to me is Xavier Rhodes, like body languages and everything, but you kinda know when you got him. So if I'm Shanahan, I'm going, give me him. Because if I break him early, they're going to have to overcompensate, and then we'll just keep busting them up up the middle, short run game, short run game, George Kittle. Like, this could be one of those games where you get diced up because Xavier Rhodes can't do his job. And I don't think that Sean Payton did a good enough job of taking advantage of Rhodes. Yeah. Rhodes was also healthy going into that game with a Week 17 off but then got banged up in the midst of the game, which he always does. Yeah. But he's going into this with a little bit of a shoulder injury, a little bit of a knee injury, and if he's slowed down at all, the 49ers have so much speed with their wide receivers, I think that Shanahan's not going to make that same mistake. I think Shanahan's going to come out and say, we need to take advantage of Rhodes in every way possible because that's what the numbers point to. That's what Chase Daniel was able to do. Yeah. That's what Matt Moore was able to do. Some of these backup quarterbacks, Brandon Allen was able to take advantage of him. So I, th- I think that the 49ers will do the same. And that's the one where if you could find the other teams one single weakness and start hammering that home, we've seen teams stay with the Vikings or beat the Vikings this year based on that alone, just going mm-hmm. after Rhodes over and over and over again. Uh, this weekend, it's the best. It just like it's amazing. It gets going right in the middle of the day on Saturday, and is just pedal to the metal all the way to the end of the night on Sunday. And I I always end up like having that feeling on Sunday, even though I don't do a job that requires me to like get up at eight o'clock and yeah. get ready and go, you know, whatever to the nine to five on Monday, but. This weekend, I always never wanted it to end as a kid. Like, yes. oh, I do not want to go back to school. I just want to keep watching football. <laughs> um, Tennessee, Baltimore. What do you make of Baltimore getting the week off, Tennessee beating the Patriots? Do the Titans have a shot in that game? Well, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, it's okay to give Mike Vrabel coach of the year. I mean, if he wins it, uh, that turnaround that they've had for Marcus Mariota to the team we're seeing now that beat the Patriots, and now they're going to Baltimore, I think has been tremendous. Ryan Tannehill, like really? Like this this guy, and A.J. Brown now looks like an all-pro kind of guy just playing with him. And I think the Titans are a very interesting team. Derrick Henry and, and what he's capable of doing. They look like potentially a team of the future, you know, which no one thought that yeah. eight weeks ago. Yeah. Also... They're facing the team of the future, I think, and the team of now in the Baltimore Ravens. And I just think it's the same scenario. Even if you can play them in a tight game, as the 49ers learned, you still got to stop that last drive or two. Yep. And that's where you lose. Yep. Because you can maybe stop them 98 out of 100 times, but 99 and 100 are where they get you. And that's why I got to give the Ravens the edge. And when you have a passer in Baltimore that's one of the most accurate in the league this year. Yep. A big turnaround from last year from Lamar Jackson. Pretty good for a wide and receiver. Also, <laughs> I thought he was a running back. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Should have run the 40. <laughs> yeah, Man, just that. The way he can disguise that football is pretty I'm, pretty helpful. I'm still upset about it. Hopefully he wears the white <laughs> sleeves again. Just so it's, it's a fair playing ground for Tennessee to lose to him. 
Uh, but I saw a cool stat, and you know I love stuff like this. Yeah. That when Lamar Jackson crosses the line of scrimmage, he's already going like 13 miles an hour. Oh my gosh! I mean, just like that's one or two steps and exploding. Of course, it's faster than any other quarterback who takes off to scramble, and he's already almost at full speed with one or two steps. I have a really tough time seeing Tennessee be able to stop that, but I do like the Tennessee team, and I, I'm kind of happy for Ryan Tannehill. I always thought there was more talent there, but he had the he started to get going, got them to the playoffs, then had that ACL injury, and then Adam Gase is his coach, so yeah. that's the worst thing in the world. Yeah, that doesn't help. And he still almost got them to the playoffs last year, despite having a horrific team, and now he's got a great team around him, and he's shown that he could be a much better quarterback, kind of in a, in a Kirk Cousins way that circumstance often determines how good you are yeah. if you're not Lamar Jackson. And in this game, it's just the special talent. Mm-hmm. Tannehill is good. This is a special talent. This might be a special all-time team that we end up talking about for a long time and saying, wow, like you remember that first year when they just exploded on the scene and no one knew they were going to be this great? Uh, that, uh, that one could be a blowout, I think. Yep. Yeah. And the fact that they just sort of hung with a very mediocre uh, New England team, the fact that they had to play New England, yeah, I have a tough time seeing Tennessee in that one. Yeah. Houston, Kansas City. Houston is bad. Their quarterback is good. But Kansas City, their whole team is good, and their quarterback is great. I have, I actually have Kansas City going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I think I'd take Deshaun Watson versus Lamar Jackson, but I just don't want the rest that comes with a Bill O'Brien team i mean it just feels like can we give them their blue ribbon and exit stage left like you do every year i feel like the chiefs are a team that in a weird way kyle we've forgotten oh yeah i mean i definitely think that you know how good the ravens were we just sort of overlooked them like lamar jackson just took all the hype uh became the it team we forget that the chiefs were going to be the it team for the next decade and then lamar jackson and the ravens show up and uh, Lamar Jackson, the Ravens team that couldn't beat Mahomes last year in the playoffs, and this to me is the matchup you want to see. I think Mahomes leads the Chiefs past certainly the Texans, uh, and then they end up playing the Baltimore Ravens. What's going to be fun to see is what happens this off season with that Chiefs team, and right. can you keep that thing together? Right. And the Ravens are really in a great position to do that, to keep everything intact. So that's going to be interesting, but we got to get Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. Like, the, we deserve that as fans, man. I will be so upset if it's not. Yeah. Because this is one of those, like, Aikman and Steve Young types yes. of games where it's the best two quarterbacks, the guys who are MVPs, and, and you just want to see them face off. It is the heavyweight fight that we all can't wait to see. And if Tennessee gets in the way of that, I'm going to be upset. <laughs> Like, good for you, Ryan Tannehill, but you've got to be kidding me, right? Yeah. Like, you got in the way of an incredible AFC championship. This would be – maybe this ends up being the Brady-Manning that we see every Could year be. with these two teams. I don't think that Lamar Jackson is a one-year wonder. If he couldn't throw accurately, I would say that. If he actually was a running back, I would say that. Uh, if he was kind of meek like Cordell Stewart was. Uh, yeah. You, you remember, like, Stewart would get anxious in the big games and stuff It's sort of just forget how to throw. Yeah. I don't think you're going to see that from Lamar Jackson. I, I think that this will be the first time where a running quarterback is translatable year after year after yeah. year to having great success and even in the playoffs. He's 23. I know. He just turned How crazy 23. Is that? And unlike Michael Vick, the guy actually studies his playbook it, and watches oh yeah. tape. Imagine. Uh, 30 for 30 on Michael Vick coming, by the way, which is, is going to be amazing. The uh, the uh, Football Life documentary was good, but yeah. 30 for 30... 
Uh, I can't wait for that. And the last one, Green Bay and Seattle. What do you think? I don't know. I don't know that Green Bay deserves to win this. Personally, I think this is a team that, again, I think Seattle's proven they can play down to the wire with anybody. And the teams they've lost to in those situations, Ravens, 49ers. Now, they've had some other questionable losses, but if you can play to the final play to a team like that, I think you can go to Green Bay and win there. And I think Green Bay's slightly above mediocre football that they've played in stretches will catch up to them. Even though the Seahawks don't have anyone, but like they took a guy named Travis Homer and they rush for 125 yards against the 49ers, and they're legitimately one delay of game from winning that yeah. game and then being yeah. uh, a, a team with a bye. So I just think the Seahawks have enough to play them closely, even in Green Bay, and to make a big play down the stretch and win the game. I think that the one seed or two seeds are just in such a great advantage that – it's going to be hard for Green Bay not to win this, even though I don't trust them at all. Yeah. Even though they could barely handle David Blau and the Detroit Lions in Week 17. Having that week off, having that extra week to prepare, they had to have a really good sense that they were going to face Seattle, with mm-hmm. as, as beat up as Philadelphia was. So you get extra game planning, you get Rodgers at home, you get that defense, and a Seattle team that is just so beat up and so weak in so many areas. I tend to always lean toward the quarterback, but in this case... I'll probably go with the team that just has those advantages. All right, last one for you, Myron. To pick, 49ers-Vikings, what do you think? You know, I think they're so similar. You know, it's like looking in a mirror in many ways and what they're able to do, and uh, especially defensively, what they've been both great at that, uh, how they use their tight ends and just the skilled players around them. I think Jimmy G flops in this one. I think we're looking at a guy who's facing the same heat that Kirk Cousins faced a week ago, and I don't know why we can believe a guy who's making his first start in the playoffs. I think it's all there for San Fran, but Jimmy Garoppolo will be the one who fails them. And I think the Vikings win on a field goal, last second. And Bailey. 31-28. Wow. Give me Minnesota to advance to the NFC Championship. Okay, people cannot call you a hater online after this. Yeah, call me a Jimmy G hater, I guess. Yeah, you know. no, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know how many San Francisco fans we have listening. So. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to give my prediction at the end of the show, so yeah. we've got another hour to go. Brandon Thorne is going to come up next, and we're going to talk offensive and defensive line and how these two teams match up. We'll go in-depth, the rise of Brian O'Neill, how the Vikings can slow down Nick Bosa, also Judd Zolgad on the expectations, and I will give the prediction Not that you care that much, but we'll give it anyway uh, at the end of the show. Myron, thanks for your time. Enjoy the ice and snow. (laughs) Will do, man. All right, we'll be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. All right. 
right, welcome back into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar from Santa Clara, California, doing the show today. The Minnesota Vikings will be here tomorrow playing the San Francisco 49ers, as you all well know. And the battles in the trenches, as we uh, have seen so many times, determine these football games and to break them down. If you listen to the show all the time, you know his name quite well. Brandon Thorne, he is the offensive line guy on this show and also does the Trench Warfare podcast terrific look inside offensive and defensive line play also is the offensive and defensive line analyst for establish the run and even finds time to write about the broncos for the athletic what is going on brandon not too much matt i'm uh, really excited to be here and thanks again for having me on can we just talk for one second about this playoff football because you're like a football guy so i imagine last week watching those games four very close games all within one score everything happening. I mean, it was one of the best weekends of football I can remember in a very long time. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, especially for being wild card weekend. I mean, sometimes wild card weekend, I guess, can get a little crazy, but not quite to the extent that it was this weekend. So I wasn't really expecting it because I really think this upcoming weekend is the best weekend of the year for sports because, you know, we get the divisional round Saturday, Sunday, and we get the national championship Monday. So that's the best stretch to me. But, I mean, this past weekend, man, was uh, very unexpected um, in terms of just all the games being really exciting and down to the last minute but man i was here for it it was it was incredible i was glued to the tv all day yeah and i was lucky enough to be able to just be in my hotel and watch the first two games and then obviously cover vikings and saints inside the superdome last week and so i go from the superdome now out here to san francisco and i love this matchup brandon because it's two teams looking in the mirror they have gary kubiak who worked with mike shanahan and mike shanahan's son over on the other side you have defenses that are flawed but also super talented you have weapons you have personnel packages where do you start with this matchup between the vikings and 49ers oh man well just with what you said that's what i think of when i first think of this matchup is just the the scheme offensively is is very similar with that shanahan bloop or imprint you know firmly on this offense in terms of both being heavily zone oriented running games that are they utilize a lot of different play action concepts and a lot of different pre-stamp motions as well and you know it's just like you said it's, they're really looking in the mirror so um there, there's some there's some pretty you know specific differences in personnel that i think are important and just offensively minnesota i mean they have i think the ultimate running back for this scheme in dalvin cook and i think that that's really what kind of separates them personnel wise and you know you can maybe say that shanahan is i think you can say shanahan's offensive mind is probably you know the best in the game right now but kevin stefanski and with the gary kubiak influence isn't too far behind uh that at all but they're they both utilize a lot of different personnel groupings and we saw that with the vikings against the saints um i mean i'm just looking at a play here in the second quarter uh 22 yard run by dalvin cook off the right side it's weak side zone they have Adam Thielen lined up as a fullback in the backfield 
with the tight end out of 11 personnel and they run off the weak side for 22 yards on first down. I mean, stuff like that, you know, you don't see a whole lot with the receiver as a fullback. And then, you know, they'll come out with three tight ends and 13 personnel the next play. And then they have a fullback battering Ram and CJ Ham. Um, so, and the, and the 49ers are pretty similar. Um, they, you know, they have George Kittle, which kind of adds a different element to their offense with a tight end who's so dynamic in that way, plus a great fullback. And they do a lot of the similar things as well. So, I mean, offensively, this is like a dream matchup for me because, you know, I grew up Broncos fan in the 90s. So hmm. this is like the sort of offense I love to see executed at a high level. And it's amazing that you add a couple of wrinkles to it and it still works the same way as it always worked. And when you have a running back in the backfield, Delvin Cook, he is playing the role of Terrell Davis, of a guy who, yeah, yes. they, they, they get a lot of good running back stats out of this system, but there are guys who are just extra special. And the way the Vikings ran for a large part of that game, so I, I went back and looked at the numbers and I took out the fourth quarter where they were trying to run out the clock. And I took out the goal lines because, I mean, if you're at the goal line, the most you can even get is a yard or two. So take that out. And they we're averaging about six yards a run in the middle of the field, getting big gains like you mentioned, getting that 11-yard gain in overtime, especially having success to that right side behind Brian O'Neill and Josh Klein. Why do you think the Vikings were able to run the ball so effectively and so much against a good New Orleans Saints defense? I think part of it is I really like the their use of misdirection. Um, you know, Dan Orlovsky had a nice breakdown on the touchdown run by Dalvin Cook in the second quarter at the end of the half, just that jet motion pre-snap and what that did um, to the defense, just expanding that. Um, I believe it was an outside, you know, it was a corner that was kind of close, you know, right outside of Cam Jordan's outside shoulder as, as the end man along, on, along the line of scrimmage. They uh, motioned, I believe it was Stefan Diggs pre-snap, and it kind of expanded him out. And then it just allowed a huge cutback lane for Dalvin Cook right behind him. I mean, so I think that their their utilization of pre-snap motion in this game, I think really was a big part of it. And then also, you know, a lot of the times when they ran over that right side, it was the weak side of the formation. Even that touchdown run that I just referred to, the tight end was over near Riley Reef, and there was kind of a, a condensed formation outside of him with the receiver. So there was a lot of attention over there, and they ran to that right side where the defense was a little bit vulnerable. And even that 22-yard run I just referenced earlier in the second quarter, same thing. The, the weak side was that right side, so more of the attention of the defense was on the left side. So I thought that they really really utilized weak side zone um, at a high level in that game against the Saints, and it kind of caught them off guard. So I think that played a part in the success over the right side. And then also you have to give credit just to you know O'Neal and Klein just uh, working combo blocked really well. Um, it didn't matter really what the Saints did defensive line was doing whether they you know ran gap exchanges and kind of you know uh, little looping type of actions up front where an end went under a tackle went over or a linebacker went over um, they just picked those things up really seamlessly and just worked together really well uh, on top of it so when you have execution with the scheme helping you out as an offensive lineman I mean you can you can kind of gash people and you know that's what they did at times in that game Talking with Brandon Thorne of the Trench Warfare Podcast, a highly suggested podcast to uh, subscribe to, especially if you like this show with the, you know where we spend a couple hours a week with an offensive lineman breaking it down. Well, it it goes into great depth and also great stories about offensive linemen and how they improve and and how they handle certain things in their careers as well. Uh, so I suggest that you listen to it. Now I want to talk about O'Neill specifically, Brandon, because when he was drafted, you and I did something that I thought was really cool. We just watched the film together and recorded 
recorded what we were talking about. And the biggest thing that you said was that we watched this game where he played against Bradley Chubb, who was the top pick that year uh, of Denver. And we were talking about how he handled the power of Bradley Chubb and, and he used his athleticism. He, he still couldn't anchor down very well, and he could get pushed back at times, but he usually was able to get hands on a guy, and usually to recover because of his athleticism. And as he's grown and as he's gotten stronger, I think he's turned into an excellent tackle so far, and he could continue to even get better uh, down the road here. He's been a major difference maker for this offensive line. What have you seen? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've kind of been – a little quiet on him this year just because I've been kind of waiting, you know, to see. And, you know, I, I really just, I, I don't want to you know, proclaim, you know, too much on a guy too early. Uh, but with O'Neill, you know, obviously he's a guy I really like coming out of Pittsburgh. And uh, I think that the biggest thing from last year to this year that I've seen is, is the use of his hands as a pass protector has gotten a lot better. He's able to kind of, keep them inside better than he did. And I think that part of it comes from getting stronger. He's a little bit more confident in himself to, to stand strong at the point of attack and not try to get a little over aggressive with his hands and try to kind of, he's, I think in the past as a rookie, he tried to wrap up too much guys and it would allow them in his, into his chest and he would just get pushed back. Now he's standing firm and really striking guys from a powerful position and getting his hands inside of guys a lot more. And then when he doesn't, He's able to reset quickly and just kind of regain that leverage. So I think hand usage was a big thing um, for him that needed to improve, and that was going to kind of play a part in his anchor getting better on top of getting stronger. So those things you you see that that have definitely improved. I still think you know he he's kind of vulnerable a little bit you know at times, especially if the running game isn't going, which hasn't been the case much this season. So he's been in a lot of good positions this year as well. Mm-hmm. There's not yep. a lot of obvious passing downs for him where he's out there on an island going against a guy and you know things like that which you know that's fine he's he's still executing his job at a very high level regardless um but yeah so he, he's he's improving though and i think that that's the biggest thing uh you know because i know we had questions you know throwing him in there early like they did but you know sometimes that trial by fire really works out for guys and i think that it has for him so far um and you know held up pretty well last week against cam jordan when he did face him you know cam jordan played both sides and obviously uh you know i think the running game was a big part in his success as well but you know when when he was out there he he did a pretty good job i think as a pass protector and um you know again this week he's probably going to see a lot of joey bosa or uh, nick bosa and uh, d ford so um, you know, it's not going to get any easier, but this is great experience for him, and it's it's really great to see him you know playing this well. Now you go into each game if you're a Vikings fan, feeling like the right side is pretty pretty okay. Josh Klein had a good game, I, I thought, uh, against New Orleans, but at times he has been you know, a little shaky. Still a veteran player who kind of finds a way. The middle to the left is where it's always a concern, where you're not sure what you're going to get from week to week. Riley Reef has had great weeks. Riley Reef has had rough weeks. And a few weeks ago when the Vikings played against the Green Bay Packers on Monday Night Football, this, the left side over from Garrett Bradbury to uh, Riley Reef got just abused, especially by Zadarius Smith. How do they match up against what San Francisco is bringing to the table in an extremely, extremely good defensive line? Yeah, so the interior specifically, I think that they, they're they not, you know, they're not at too much of a disadvantage here. Now, that's, it depends too, because the 49ers run 
you know, some different packages up front where, you know, Buckner prim- primarily plays inside. So he's going to be over, I think, Elfline most of the time. That's not a great matchup for Elfline, but um, it's, it, I don't see Buckner as a guy like a Chris Jones or a Jonathan Allen, those two guys who really have elite type of bull rushes. Mm-hmm. Um, Buckner has a good bull rush, but he's more, even though he's huge, he's more of, a guy who wins with quickness and speed and using his, I mean, he's, this guy's, he's an absolute freak of nature in terms of just his size, his, his arm length, his hand size. They're both like off the charts and he uses them to his advantage really well. So Elfline, um, he's going to look like a dwarf out there basically going against Buckner. Um, so he's going to have to be really, uh, you know, clean with his technique, um, which hasn't been the case this season a lot. So it's, he's just going to have to be technically sound in this one. I don't think he's necessarily going to be too much at a physical disadvantage necessarily just because of Buckner's playing style um, as a pass rusher. But, uh, you know, with DJ Jones hurt, I don't know if he's playing this game. I think he's still hurt now for the year, their nose tackle. Um, when he went down, their run defense, I think, took a pretty significant step back, and I'm pretty sure he went on IR when he did go down, so I don't think he's going to be playing in this game. I believe they did sign Earl Mitchell, who's a, a guy who used to play for them um, as well, nose tackle, but I think Garrett Bradbury can have a big game, uh, especially run blocking in this game, because without the TJ Jones there and even Earl Mitchell, who was solid in the past but you know didn't play for them um, prior to that signing, I think that that you know this is one of the best matchups for for him on the season honestly because there's really not that nose tackle in the middle that is a dominant force or even a very good player in my opinion like Sheldon Day he's a you know he's a quick pass rusher who can beat them you know as a pass rusher but you can I think as a run blocker he can have his way with him um so that's going to be interesting him him Elfline and Klein you know working that interior as run blockers I think that they can have some success there um especially with their middle linebackers being backups as well uh I don't know Klein Alexander might play so uh that that might change a little bit but um so I, I don't see it as too much too too bad of a matchup there but that said eric armstead has primarily played defensive end this year um and you know d ford hasn't played you know much this season at least in the second half he should be back so that may force or you know bump eric armstead inside a little bit more than he had been playing and then that becomes an issue uh for somebody like josh klein um, just because of Armstead's size, strength, power, and he's a better pass rusher this year than I've ever seen him. So uh, that, that's going to be interesting to see how D Ford affects things um, because him coming back is huge because this defensive line wasn't nearly as productive when he went out um, just because when you have four rushers like that, I mean, it's obviously extremely difficult to, to handle. And when you dropped off D Ford, it kind of made them a little bit easier to deal with. So um, with D Ford back, uh, that, that's going to be a great matchup against Brian O'Neill. I think that plays into his strengths uh, just because D Ford's a pure pass or pure speed pass rusher. And Brian O'Neill is you know, obviously one of the best athletes in the league at his position. Um, so I think that that matchups really well. Uh, for him. Uh, and then obviously Nick Bosa, I think has the advantage over either of these tackles. Um, he's just, he's such a, a great player. Um, you know, it, I, I would think that they're going to try to put him over O'Neill a little bit because D Ford over Riley Reef is a huge advantage, I think, for D Ford. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. even though he doesn't play over that side, you know, as much. 
he, he, you know, he switches sides as well, but I think, you know, a lot of his success as a pro has been over that right tackle. Um, so, but they mix and match those guys. So that'll be interesting, um, to, to see, you know, this offensive line, you know, pretty much the whole year have felt this way and have written so and on established run. You know, I think that this offensive line is a good run blocking unit who's gotten better as the season's progressed. And if their running game can be relatively successful, then they, then they can have success against this defensive line because they're not going to put themselves in a lot of positions, you know, to where they're in obvious passing downs. But if they get into that sort of position, if the 49ers are able to score, you know, 24, 27 points, and, you know, the Vikings have to try to match that and their, you know, the running game isn't going, then they, you know, they can get eaten alive, honestly. Um, but, you know, it's all going to be based on the running game, really. I think, you know, if they can, you know, be in manageable downs and, you know, average four, four and a half yards a carry or more, then I think that they can have some success. Yeah, it is amazing, uh, Brandon. I've been thinking about this quite a bit, how much there is this gap between the numbers sort of point to you have to pass all the time or you should be throwing more often and things like that. And you know that I am a lover of the numbers and analytics, but also having been there for a lot of the games and you see the uh, teams getting worn down and also the attention that starts to get drawn to Delvin Cook when he's getting yard after yard after yard on the ground. It's so strange about how the the mental part of it plays in because when Delvin Cook gets an 11-yard run, it feels like the worst thing that ever happened when the, for the defense. You know, they they look around at each other like who did something wrong? Who wasn't in their gap? How did he get that? He broke 3 of our tackles. Like he's demoralizing. You you throw an 11-yard pass and everyone goes like, okay, first down, all right, let's get back to it. There's there's just like a weird psychological element that goes into it where defenses start getting very anxious. And, and the, the Saints were really patient in that game about, well, we're going to play our two safeties and we're going to try and slow down Cook, and if he gets some big runs, that's okay. But eventually they got to overtime. There's that 11-yard run, and all of a sudden uh, we better put a bunch of guys in the box here. And that's where... The, the Vikings hit the big shot to Adam Thielen. And I, I've just been thinking about a lot how the run game will just always have to play into creating things off of the pass. And we go into this one saying again, if they can run the ball and start to slow down these pass rushers, they're going to have a decent day. But if they've got to throw all the time, I mean, Armstead and Bosa and Ford, these, these are way too much talent. They're going to be in uh, Kirk Cousins' lap all day if they can't run. Yeah, uh, this this team... You know, is uniquely constructed as are the 49ers, but especially this team. I mean, they're built on the running game. Um, and it's, it's interesting because in the playoffs this season, you know, most of the teams left are built on the running game. Um, but the Vikings more than anybody, you know, aside from the Ravens are just really dependent on the running game. And I think a, a lot of the teams, when, when they're game planning the, the Vikings, the first person they look at on the offense is Dalvin Cook. It's like, okay, this is their guy. This is the best player on their offense. We have to figure out a way to slow this guy down because if he gets going, if he gets these 11 yard runs, that's going to be demoralizing to us because we're game planning to stop him. Um, so I think that's really where it starts and ends with this offense. I think he's the most valuable player on the offense and, uh, you know, he's just that special in my opinion. Um, and he looks, he looks healthy, which is great because, um, I think he's, you know, he's just a great player and, it, you know, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how they try to game plan and stop him. Um, because even if he can get four or five, six yards, 
that's going to open up everything else for their offense, you know, the play-action game. And, you know, I don't necessarily think that the running game has to be wildly successful for play-action to work just because, you know, linebackers read their keys regardless and they're going to get sucked up upfield, you know, with play fakes, especially from quarterbacks under center when they're turning it back to the defense as the Vikings do. Um, but still, when you have that running game hitting, as well as the Vikings, you know, can can hit like they did last week, then it just accentuates that and just makes it a little bit more pronounced. Um, and that can make the difference in, you know, a 10, 15, 20, 30 yard gain and so on, you know, just because defenders can get displaced a little bit more when the running game's working, I think. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Dalvin Cook, I think, is the key to, to everything for them. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Um, Brandon, before we go here, Daniil Hunter, good at football. Very, very good at football. Um, Everson Griffin looked like he had had a week off and just came out and was extremely explosive from the very beginning. Mike Zimmer putting those guys inside at times seemed to baffle the New Orleans Saints and... Uh, it, it was clear that that was a wrinkle he'd been waiting to use maybe for several years because we would always see it in training camp and wonder, are they ever going to actually do that? And uh, they waited until the biggest moment to do it, and it worked. How do Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter match up against this 49ers offensive line, and can they game wreck like they did to Drew Brees and the Saints last week? I definitely think they can from just a personnel standpoint. Now, Joe Staley against Everson Griffin is going to be a great matchup. I don't, I see that one kind of as a wash. Um, Mike McGlinchey versus Daniel Hunter. I definitely give the advantage to Hunter. Um, but still McGlinchey is a, you know, a good player. Um, you know, but Hunter is obviously elite and, you know, he beat Ramcheck a couple times last week, who's also an elite player. So I think McGlinchey is a good player. So I think the advantage is a little bit bigger there than last week. Um, even though McGlinchey still is good. Uh, and then the guards, you know, I think the interior, especially not just the guards, the center as well, backup center, uh, Ben Garland is in there for Western Richburg and then Mike Person and Lakin Tomlinson. I think that, you know, if you slide Everson Griffin inside, he can have a similar impact. Um, and just the interior in general, I think they're all solid, you know, players for the most part, a little bit better run blockers and pass blockers. Those type of guys, if you get them in obvious passing downs, and even if you don't, um, I think that there's a huge advantage for the Vikings there. Uh, but you don't really get a lot of those advantageous situations against the 49ers because they're so efficient offensively and because they don't put themselves in a lot of bad positions. And usually their running game is working. So you don't really ever see them get exposed as much as you would think in a vacuum. Um, so that's, I think, how you have to think about it. Uh, you know, in a vacuum or if in, they're in obvious passing downs, the Vikings can really game wreck this game up front and really win a lot of matchups, but they're going to have to play good team defense first to give their pass rushers that opportunity. So, um, you know, we'll see if that happens, but I think that there's an opportunity there for sure. And I can't wait to see another heavyweight fight between Mike Zimmer and one of the great offensive minds in the game. He uh, 1-0 against Sean Payton in this playoffs, and now he goes up against Kyle Shanahan. I am excited for this football game. Brandon, how do you think it plays out? I know you're not a big prediction guy, but uh, you, you like to just look at offensive-defensive line, look who has the advantages, and then decide that way. What are you thinking on this one? Oh, man. 
I mean, my head tells me the 49ers are going to win a close game, you know, being at home, that energy in the, the stadium and just the week off, all the guys are a little bit more rested, especially McGlinchey and Staley dealing with injuries this year. So I, you know, I, I probably would pick the 49ers, but I'm, my heart is with the Vikings just because I, I really like Mike Zimmer. Um, and I really like the way that they're constructed, a lot of the players, things like that. So, I'll, you know, I'll kind of be hoping the Vikings win, but I, I think it's going to be, again, just a very tough, you know, um, you know, match up here and just the situation and everything like that. So, but I always go for the underdog as well. So we'll, we'll see. But I, I think the 49ers won the close one. Yeah. I think we're set up for another very good game. And I, um, have not announced my pick because of course everyone waits till the last minute so I can pick it wrong. Um, but, uh, I was feeling pretty good about myself, Brandon, because I had said that Saints and Vikings were going to be really, really close and we end up in overtime. So I felt good about myself, which means I'll be dead wrong about this one. But I'm I'm thinking Saints by a point or two. I mean, they're very, very, very close. And I, I'll never understand how, after the Vikings could play the way they played in New Orleans, how Vegas can think it's a touchdown favorite for uh, San Francisco. But I also don't understand gambling. So um, Yeah, but, I don't know if I agree with that line, but you know, I guess we'll see. They, they, yeah, I don't know. They, well, they were wrong in New Orleans, and uh, I think they'll be wrong again. Follow Brandon on Twitter, at Brandon Thorne, just how you think it's spelled. NFL is how you can follow him on Twitter. Make sure you check out his podcast, Trench Warfare. It is fantastic. And also, uh, the website, Establish the Run, is a very cool site, so make sure you check that out as well. Brandon, great to catch up with you again. Great analysis, as always. And, uh, well, we'll either be doing it again soon to talk about the draft, or we'll be doing it again soon to talk about another offensive line, defensive uh, line matchup. So thanks for coming on, man. Absolutely, man. Can't wait to talk again. All right, we'll take a break. We will come right back. You're listening to Purple Daily from Santa Clara, uh, California. We'll be right back on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download. We'll use this download to remind you of a couple things we're doing here at Score North. We here at Score North are all in for Vikings 49ers. You can join Mackie and Judd for a special pregame edition or show beginning tomorrow at 1 p.m. leading up to kickoff. Plus, Vikings Vent Line taking your calls immediately after the game. Also, a three-hour special aftermath show on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Watch the game anywhere. Talk about it here on Score North, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. Also, Score North on AM 1500 is your radio home for the college football national championship game between the defending champion Clemson Tigers and Heisman winner Joe Burrow and LSU. Hear the game this Monday night at 7 p.m. right here on Score North on AM 1500. That's been your Score North download. Now back to the final segment of the week of Purple Daily. All right, welcome back to Purple Daily live from Santa Clara, California. Matthew Collar here, and I am sorry about the weather back there. I felt guilty after rubbing it in everyone's faces when I was in Los Angeles, so now I'm just going to apologize that my two road trips in the playoffs went to New Orleans, which was great, and now Santa Clara, California. Back in our frozen, icy studios is Judd Zolgad, and he joins me now on the show Judd, uh, how's the weather back oh, there? Absolutely fantastic! I can't tell you. I'm thrilled. 
I'm going to take your apologies and keep them. Okay. All right. Well, this is hockey country, caller. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, go out on the uh, old frozen pond and <laughs> enjoy a little bit of a skate back Shitty, there. We call it. <laughs> uh, Judd, uh, as we go into the final segment here of the week, we've just broken down every aspect of Vikings and 49ers from the run game to the tight ends to the safeties to everything, right? But here's what we haven't really discussed is what it will mean if they win and what it will mean if they lose and whether this season is already a success now and a win would be a cherry on top and a loss would be, well, you know, this is about how you expect it to go when you're the sixth seed is that you get a win and then you lose the next week and it was a good season. Or should fans be looking at this game, Judd, like... If they don't beat the San Francisco 49ers, if they don't return to the NFC Championship, which is where they got with Case Keenum, and the whole idea of signing Kirk Cousins was that you could get as far or farther than you did with Case Keenum, is it a failure of a season still if they do not beat the San Francisco 49ers? So keep in mind, I sat with you in after the Week 2 debacle in Green Bay, and I told you at that point, and basically to then go to the... Monday night debacle against the Packers at U.S. Bank Stadium. After both those games, I told you that this fan base with this team and what we had seen from this team should simply be happy if they made the playoffs, okay? So that being said, I should say they made the playoffs, and oh, Eureka, they not only made the playoffs, they won a football game, and so it's a success. But you bring up the underlying point that you have to keep in mind, which was Kirk Cousins wasn't signed to make the playoffs. That was signed as the, as the okay, case was good, Kirk is better, and more importantly, too, this defense is really, really good. And so if Kirk does his job, no picks, no stupid mistakes, and the defense plays as well as they did certainly against the Saints, that this is a Super Bowl-type team. So I'm torn here because I sort of given up on a championship for this team after those Packers games and they were disappointing and you know what throughout the course of the 2019 season we could point to four or five games I think that were disappointing Matthew so in that sense I said be happy if they make the playoffs they did but if we go if we go all the way back to March of 2018 and the day the cousin signed this was done to say the team that won the miracle game against the saints and then went into philadelphia and lost to that team badly that day this was done to upgrade them and make them a super bowl team now right now i will i think speaking for the fan base say i think there's going to be a satisfaction with that saints win i really do so people are not going to get fired i don't think that Zim's in trouble now, or Spielman. Cousins, I don't know. But all of that being said, I think the default position is if they go... Now, if they get blown out by San Francisco, that might change things. But, Matthew, if they go into uh, to San Francisco and Santa Clara on Saturday and lose by a touchdown, I think a lot of people are going to say, pretty good year, nice playoff win. I'm not sure they're right, but that's how I think it's going to come out. It's sort of a meta conversation because what does it really mean to have expectations and are they a moving goalpost that we're always sliding around and then we decide arbitrarily, well, it was really this expectation we should grade them against and not that expectation because, as you mentioned, when they signed Kirk Cousins, the expectation was NFC Championship or beyond because that's what they said. They said, we expect 
to be in the hunt for a long time with Kirk Cousins. We think this is an improvement at quarterback. That's why we're paying so much money. And we want to sustain our level of success, which under Case Keenum was getting to the NFC Championship game. Even if it took a miracle to get there, that's where the ownership set the bar when they signed Kirk Cousins. You can never say, oh, we expect a Super Bowl, because there's just too much randomness in the sport and small samples and bounces and things like that. And we can even just talk about the New Orleans game through that lens of, hey, if Dalvin Cook's knee isn't down, we're talking about one of the biggest meltdowns from the Vikings ever. Will Lutz, the field goal. Right, yeah, that one should go in. Make that one, that game's done. 43 yards, that's the one they'll be talking about too. And did Rudolph push off? And that's what makes the NFL and playoffs so great, is that we could talk about all those things. Um, But when it comes to the expectations, you can never say, oh, well, we just expect to win the Super Bowl, unless you're Tom Brady in his prime or Peyton Manning in his prime and so forth. But you could say we expect to be there at the end, that we feel like signing Kirk Cousins makes us one of the four to six best teams in the NFL every year he's going to be here. And I think that at that time that was fair. I think they set it a little too high because there was natural regression that was going to happen from 2017, and we saw that in 2018. They should have anticipated that. But it was fair to say, hey, we should be in that top quarter of the league or even better every single year with this quarterback and the rest of this roster and then throughout this year though we moved that expectation all over the place i mean you know after i killed it basically yes you did uh, after week one we were like what a win against atlanta this team could be great and then after week four uh, it was, well, look, you might make the playoffs because of your schedule, but don't expect to go anywhere. And then when they lost to the Green Bay Packers, 80% of the Vikings fans just stopped paying attention to the team altogether. And we're talking about, I'm not even going to watch the playoff game. They were so distraught, and I would say even the people who own the team were so distraught by that that we thought that the coach could get fired if they don't win. And then they go to New Orleans, they get a win that was as exciting of a game as I have ever covered in my career. And and for fans, one of the most, I think, satisfying wins because of who it was against, how it had to happen, the game-winning drive, that's one that you remember forever. And I think if they go to San Francisco and they don't win, that a lot of people will say, you know what, that playoff game in New Orleans... That was really, really fun, and we didn't mostly see this team as a Super Bowl team throughout the season, so your expectation is sort of based on what you most recently thought and not what you thought at the beginning of 2018, I think. Uh, But I think this game, like the Saints game, also goes back to the look, right? If they go into San Francisco and lose by uh, 21, people are going to say, what what the hell was that? If they lose by 7, they're going to say, yeah, nice game. Question for for you, though, off the Saints game, and I've been struggling with this because I think that Zimmer deserves a ton of credit for what they did in that game against the Saints, and that defensive game plan was brilliant. But here's my question that I haven't got to ask you so far about that. The one flip side to my question that I'm struggling with internally, staying up nights right now, I can't get my head around this one, Where, where was that game plan? And I'm not saying all of it. But, you know, that was the defense that, that we've basically expected since the second half of the Saints playoff game in 2017, Matthew. Where And I'm not saying that you're going to break out all of this stuff. But, you know, Hunter and Griffin inside was fantastic, but they're really good there. 
And that could have been unveiled weeks ago. Guys standing up and I, I just, the one thing I struggle with was because you wouldn't save that game plan for that playoff game when you are a wild card team and basically your life was on the line at different points. So I guess my, it's not even a criticism, but my one question to you is, where do you think that game plan was, or at least if not the whole game plan, elements of that? Well, when we go back over uh, the entire season and try to pin down what the defense really is, there are some points that you could draw out where you'd say, boy, they were really impressive that day and not really impressive that day, but when they were not impressive, that might have helped them to figure some things out. And so take Seattle, for example. When Xavier Rhodes gets toasted and it turns into a, a touchdown, he throws his helmet on the sideline and there's a meltdown and all that stuff. At that point, Mike Zimmer said, something has to change here. The way that I'm using my coverages, the rotation of the defensive backs, this has to change. I have to help out Xavier Rhodes more. I have to get him off the field a little more. And then we saw a turnaround to some extent for the defense past that. And the way that they played against the Green Bay Packers, Judd, I thought was incredibly impressive on defense. It was just the worst offensive performance imaginable that day. But on the defensive side, they give up one big play at the end to Aaron Jones when Eric Hendricks had gotten hurt and was out of the game. Aside from that, they picked off Aaron Rodgers, which nobody does. They forced a fumble. They gave their team every chance, their offense every chance to win that game. But I felt like coming out of that one, the defense looked around and said, well, we did our job against a really good quarterback and an offense that is a little spotty at times, but Aaron Rodgers, you're picking him off, you're forcing turnovers, you're pressuring him, you're giving him a hard time. That Combine that with what they did out in Los Angeles against the Chargers, which had been a pretty explosive offense, and they hold them to, what was it, 10 points and 7 turnovers, that the confidence of the defense had been building. And I think Zimmer had been figuring things out along the way after Seattle, and we just didn't talk about it a lot because the Chargers really melted down in that game, and the offense was pretty good. And then the Packers game was so hideous that you couldn't think about anything except for how terrible it was to watch. But hidden in those games was, you know, this defense is starting to get itself together. So even though there were moments against Seattle, moments against Detroit the first time and so forth, and moments against Denver even, where you were very, very underwhelmed, I think it was trending that way going into the playoffs. And then what really helped was, yeah, you're going to throw the kitchen sink when you're trying to win one playoff game. You're going to bring out everything you could think of. But then the other part of it was that they were healthy. And that's where I wonder with the San Francisco game, okay, well, what's left to bring out? Because Kyle Shanahan is not going to be surprised now if you move Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter inside. And then how healthy are you going to be? How worn down are you going to be in a short week is going to make a difference. But I think it was typical Zimmer fashion this year where things went wrong at times throughout the season with the defense and we were unimpressed at times with the defense. And then when it mattered the most, he came up with a great scheme. And the only time that really hasn't happened in his time here was the NFC Championship. And, and that sticks with people a lot. But I feel like in a way, Judd, maybe you disagree with this, I feel like the game against New Orleans kind of erases in a way, not not totally from people's minds, but shows you, okay, well, he definitely had that in him. Or he definitely corrected the things that went wrong when he went on the road to Philadelphia and lost to them in the NFC Championship game. And now he's going to be forced to do it again which is going to be really tough because it's another really great offense that the Vikings are going to face. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't uh, 
obviously completely erase that loss when they, what, scored the first touchdown against the Eagles and then gave up, I think, 38 unanswered points. But it definitely comes back, and it definitely, I mean, and to our credit, we've talked about this a lot, This de- the, the storyline, the narrative that this defense had become bad was ridiculous. The corners had become suspect, and, and the inside pressure was not as good, but the, uh, but any imagination of, well, Mike's defense has lost its fastball and is no They're fifth in scoring defense. That was BS. Um, what I'm curious, too, about on Saturday, and what I love about Zim V. Shanahan, I think is going to be so much fun, too, is Garoppolo's a different cat. And so to contain him is going to take a different game plan. The only thing is... Kyle's had, what, now two weeks, basically, to sit there and scheme and game plan and think up mastermind stuff? Now, perhaps he's going to overthink some things. But Mike's uh, on a short week now, so it's not going to be as simple. And, yeah, if you just put uh, Hunter and Griffin inside, it's not going to be the same because Breeze is, well, one, he's small. Two, he's old and slower. Garoppolo's not those things. Garoppolo has his faults, but... um, I am very curious to see what Mike tries to do here to counter that. But it's just that Mike, I, I'm glad they played so well defensively because I think I thought the one thing that was out of control was this defense has really dropped off. It's not good. No, it was still good. It's just that three years back or so, it was superior. Right. Like it, yes. it was an all star defense. Yes. So it went from all star defense to still very solid. And and at, at that point in time, I think fans would probably become a sort of jaded towards saying, why aren't you as good, came out with the whole, man, your defense stinks. No, the defense does not stink. It's dropped off in certain places with certain players that we can point to. But as a whole, it's still very, very good. All right, here's what I want you to answer now, Judd. Zolgad is back in uh, Minneapolis. I'm in Santa Clara. We'll be uh, here for the game tomorrow and then flying back on Sunday and back to talk with you, you folks on Monday. I, talk yeah. to the players? I, uh, <laughs> You're so lucky. Uh, yeah, sometimes. Enjoy that I, flight home. Yeah, that one could be That was always my could favorite. Could be fun, yeah. Uh, well, at least, so the problem is I got really lucky with New Orleans travel, yep. which means that this will be a disaster. There's sure. no question about it. I cannot go two straight trips with having perfect travel. So I'm expecting you know what you do? regression. Do what the players do. Take it day by day, yeah. flight by flight. One day at a time. One if flight the flight there is good, don't think about the flight home until you're to the flight home. One day That's at a right. time. Uh, but I want you to fill in the blank here, Judd. Right. If they win, then blank will have happened. If they lose then blank will have happened. Mm. If they win, can blank be a, a few words here? Of course, okay. yeah. It does not have to be a one-word answer. If they win, then in brackets, internally the goal is reached because you're back there. You've given yourself a chance. And by the way, I still contend, and this is the damnedest thing, I still contend that game by game by game, if you win until obviously the Super Bowl, Matthew, the games get easier. You know the Saints. I'm still staying with that was a damn tough game. Oh yeah, the Niners are really good, but do they scare me as much as the Saints in the Superdome? Absolutely not. And if you get to Seattle or Green Bay, so I think if they win, the goal internally they're not going to say this was reached. If they lose, then decisions must be made. And I think Spielman and Zimmer are back. I think I think now I think the playoff win gets them both three year extensions. 
I can't say the same for Kirk. I don't know there for sure. I don't know there. I don't know he costs a lot. I don't know if he's going to come back and say, as we've discussed previously, he'll sign a team-friendly deal. So if they lose, I'm not saying they fire people, okay, just to be clear here. But I do think it's fair to say decisions must be made. So I was looking at this question differently. I was looking at more if they win, then they will have run with Delvin Cook for 100 yards or something. And, and Oh, I'm sorry. I, I thought you no, meant I, to, I, into the I, future. I, I like the direction that you took it because if they win, we're going to look at this as all of a sudden a very special season yes. that we were all wrong about, I think, in some ways or another. Because even though I picked a close game in New Orleans and – uh, did not underestimate Zimmer's ability to game plan and the amount of talent on this defense. And by the way, there was a study before the season about older teams and how older teams usually win the Super Bowl. Everyone wants to get younger, 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 but it's usually average age teams that have a lot of veteran players, which doesn't surprise me when you consider the amount of adjustments you have to make in the playoffs, and you need guys who are experienced enough to be able to do that, and we really saw that with this defense, and I keep coming back to how incredible it is to have the same guys on the team since 2015, every starter on the defensive side, and that's kind of incredible but if they lose then i wonder where the defense is going to go that that would be my future thing to look for is everson griffin xavier rhodes linval joseph i mean are these guys all going to come back are we going to run it back again does it make sense to continue to have the same defense if jimmy garoppolo throws for 350 yards and you lose by three scores are we going to say well you know i guess they they schemed the heck out of drew Brees, but it still wasn't good enough and now there needs to be changes on the defensive side that's where just because of the sheer age of a lot of the players and contract situations there's going to be a lot of decisions there but if they win then you probably are talking about uh, I don't know with Rhodes, but trying to bring everybody back and not making a whole lot of changes on the defensive side and maybe going into the draft and, and trying to pick up a left tackle or something like that. Right? I mean, I think it's a completely... And you're drafting way down then, yeah, too. Right, of course. Yeah, it's a, it's a completely different philosophy, win and lose. I think if you lose, you're still taking a peek at those first-round quarterbacks and saying, like, well, is there somebody that we that we think is kind of exciting and could be... You know, a prospect for the future if Kirk doesn't resign here. But I, th- I think if we look at the question the way I originally thought it, mm-hmm. if they win, they will have run the ball really, really well. And I love talking about football now the way we used to talk about it in the early '90s. But it's just true with this football team. Big shoulder pads. That if they bring, right, bring back the big Dalvin Cook. Big shoulder pads. Can wear the pads. big Chuck Foreman shoulder yeah. pads. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, neck rolls, of course. Uh, as always. oh yeah, I didn't. Even yeah, no, no question, question neck about rolls. it. Um, this but, shows all about the neck roll. But, uh, I, I mean, I, I think it will have created big plays off of the run like it did in overtime there. And if they lose, it will be the front four of San Francisco stopping Delvin Cook. It's To me, it's that simple when it comes to can you beat the Vikings. It's always can your front four stop the running game. And if it does, then the Vikings usually do not have enough offensively to compete with a team that will score. San Francisco's going to score. I look forward to my Twitter on Sunday when they score a touchdown and everyone says Zimmer should be fired again. <laughs> but uh, that that's kind of the way that, that I'm looking at it from the other not future but present gotcha. uh, way. I'll say this then. If they win, Kirk does not or was not allowed to make a mistake. I think 
the most important, and this might sound crazy, I think the most important stat in the game book on Sunday against the Saints is very simple. INTs Kirk Cousins. Zero, right? Because that was the Keenum factor. We said that's coming, that's coming. And, and in fact, they were so bound and determined not to have Kirk, and Kirk made some nice throws, okay? Again, I don't want people saying you hate Kirk. I don't hate Kirk. But, but seriously, late in the fourth quarter, when they could have taken some shots, when they could have taken the shots that they eventually took in OT, what did they say offensively? We're not going to give you a chance. And in fact, when you get to third down, just take that sack, yep. right? So, so if they win, I think we also might have to talk about that Cousins did not and or was not allowed to make the Keenum mistake that, that ultimately in the Saints game damn near killed you, right? And the first one that he made on the pick that got returned for a touchdown in Philadelphia that helped to kill you. So you're right on Dalvin, but I also think the Kirk factor becomes very important here in, okay, Kirk made – Let's say two or three nice throws, but more importantly, he didn't make two throws that might have submarined your chances. All right, are you saving your prediction for Mackie and Judd with Rami, or can you give it now on Purple? Oh, Day I'll give it right now. Okay, go no, ahead. I'll give it right now. Um, and this is just from this is just from the gut now. But I think the Vikings win. I think the Vikings win. I think they're on a roll. San Francisco. I mean, you just slayed the Saints. I can't. And you, you obviously got this firsthand from being in the Superdome on Sunday, I can't tell you enough how tough that building is to play, how intimidating, how much it can throw you, how much one mistake can undermine you there. The noise, the Saints, the turf, and and I I know that the Vikings are better on turf than they are on grass, but it's the Saints turf and it's the Saints fans. Um, I think the Vikings have gotten themselves with that win on a nice roll. I am going to say that the Vikings win by a field goal. Okay, I like it. Um, which and I have we, no idea why. I just we, think they will. We never talk about Dan Bailey, by the way, which he's been amazing this year. And I, it keeps coming to the back of my mind of like, is he going to miss one that's going to matter? Because he's been so, so, so good. Um, I'm going to go 28-21 49ers here. Okay. The difference in my mind is that the 49ers did not play last week. Mm-hmm. They got the first round by and had a lot of time to prepare for the Vikings I'm sure that they did both. I'm sure that they prepared for whichever team that they could play. Um, and when you have that extra rest and the home field advantage and no travel, it's a big difference maker. As you go down the stretch in a game, third, fourth quarter, who has anything left and who can concentrate for that long and not make a big mistake like you bring up, there's a reason why one and two seeds end up in the Super Bowl every single year, and it's that. It's that they get to sit at home and they get to be 100% healthy or as healthy as they could possibly be. And the Week 17 resting the starters, I think, was enormous for the Vikings. But now, you know, Dalvin Cook just took a beating last week. Adam Thielen just took a beating last week. And, and they have to bounce right back. Xavier Rhodes left the game again because he had a shoulder issue and he was on the injury report. You get these guys getting banged up. Linval Joseph was on the injury report earlier this week. It, you play a physical, 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 crazy, intense, emotional game, and then you have to go back, and then you have to get in a plane, and you have to go all the way out to the sure. West Coast and everything else and change the timing to different, you know, a different time zone, everything else. I think that they have a, enough talent, and they have enough togetherness now, and they have a good enough quarterback play and running back and offensive scheme and everything else to be right there 
It's just that I'm giving the slight edge to the team that got to rest. Garoppolo throws at least one, if not two picks. Yeah, he throws picks. I think he's going to yep. throw a pick. He does throw picks. And I think the Vikings score off that. Now, they, they might not score a defensive touchdown directly off that. But I think Garoppolo, I think the key here is forcing him into the mistakes that you're going to prevent Cousins from making. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So, uh, and that player, no doubt, who will get the interception is Anthony Harris, who, by the way, uh, I'm publishing an article on scorenorth.com, our free website about Anthony Harris. So make sure you check that out, scorenorth.com. All right. Well, playoff football on a Saturday. I will be there. We will have a... Big shoulder pads? Yes. It's the 49ers. Go. You've got to go Let's with go. neck rolls. I know. Old school to. 49ers, Roger Craig. <laughs> Seriously. Tom Rathman, You know what? Man. It's just too bad that, that the stick is not still there because this game would be great in that dump. I love that old dump. I know. I don't know what the Candle- wind is like for the kickers out there, but always a potential factor. Candlestick was so much fun. Uh, all right. So that is it for us this week. After the game, we will be recording a podcast almost immediately as soon as Judd is done with Ventline, and who knows how long that could go. <laughs> Which might mean Sunday um, morning. So we will, we, will get, but we will have that up. My reaction from going down to the locker room, talking with the players, being there for Kirk Cousins and Mike Zimmer's press conferences, and on and on and Enjoy on. Enjoy the warmth, Collar. So make Enjoy sure. Santa Clara. Let me finish this, Judd. Uh, so I'm bitter about I'm bitter on fact about the fact I'm stuck in the cold. I know, Sorry. I know, I know you are, but I'm enjoying it out here. So make sure you uh, go download the podcast if you don't already and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Just type in Purple Daily, and we will catch you on Monday, and we'll see how much reacting we have to do. All right, talk to you later on Score North. If you own a small to medium sized business that kept employees on payroll through COVID, you may have a big cash refund waiting for you. The Employee Retention Credit is a tax credit of up to $26,000 per employee. And now, more businesses than ever qualify. The experts at RefundsPro.com specialize in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program. Most of their refunds are over $100,000. Even businesses that have received PPP funds may be eligible. And there are absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. So there's no reason not to apply. If your business experienced shutdowns, limited capacity, supply chain challenges, or reduced revenue due to COVID, you likely qualify. RefundsPro.com has already helped hundreds of businesses. So don't lose the refund you're owed by missing the deadline. Get started today with a free 5-minute questionnaire at RefundsPro.com. That's Refunds with an S, Pro.com. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, or pie made with fresh, cosmic, crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy 5 or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.